Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Blockbuster Mentality, where we're doing something we've never done before on the show, which is talk Star Trek. That's right, Dave here. There's no Ben. Why? Because Ben has never watched an episode of Star Trek. He's never watched a Star Trek movie. And so he I must that- comply. Yeah, he must. At some point, we will assimilate him. <laughs> so, and as, as you can hear, uh, that uh, that voice in the background is returning guest Ryan L. Terry uh, coming back. Uh, I think, Ryan, you were here for the Sunset Boulevard episode a long time. I was. Uh, two episodes, uh, Sunset Boulevard and then uh, top uh, Oscar winning songs, I believe it was. And on that topic, uh, of course, the the song I picked for number one uh, just celebrated its 40th anniversary last week, which was uh, the iconic flash dance. What a feeling. Yeah. And so it's, uh, <laughs> and so I was on another podcast uh, earlier this week celebrating the uh, the Cinema Speak, uh, Cinema Speak podcast. And we were celebrating the 40th anniversary of Flashdance. So I was able to uh, able to talk about it. But yeah, it's uh, 40 years. And uh, so, yeah, so we, that, that's our tie in because that was a uh, Oscar winning song. And, uh, and 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 here we are. So it, it all it all works together. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I remember <laughs> it being a little bit a little bit kind of the setup is a little silly. Doesn't, doesn't she work in a oh, steel? Oh, the plot's terrible. You don't watch it for the, the plot's terrible. Well, so no, I, yeah. I, I wasn't watching it for the plot. But... <laughs> But yeah, fantastic. And of course, you can find uh, Ryan at uh, rlterryrealview.com to catch all his fantastic reviews uh, at rlterry1 on Twitter. Or uh, you can move down to Tampa and attend his film class at the University of Tampa, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, I certainly can. And you can also hang out with me on Letterboxd, which I started. That was uh, my New Year's resolution this year was to finally bite the bullet, jump on the Letterboxd uh, bandwagon. Uh, even though I re I, I resisted, but as we've learned, resistance is futile. <laughs> so I have become assimilated in the letterboxed cult and, um, I resisted for a long time because I had, uh, you know, about 500 reviews on my blog and like, well, if I, if I jump on letterbox now, it's going to look like I've not watched anything. Yeah. So I said, well, I guess I will just add films a little at a time. So I started with the most recent and worked my way backwards. And I have, I'm up to 2014. So I think I only have about 10 or 12 more months of reviews to add. And then everything from my blog will finally be on Letterboxd. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, letterboxd.com slash Terry there on um, on that platform. Great. Yeah, I have an account. I think I've made two reviews. I just haven't gone back to it. And that's been one of my <laughs> things too, is to actually try to be more... Uh more active on there so that's one of my goals as well well right it is great to have you here because Thanks. for me i get to have on a guest who not only knows more about film than i do but i know you know more about trek than i do so 
<laughs> I, I, you're, I know you're always you're always tweeting about Trek, talking about Trek. Tell yeah. me a little bit about how. T- tell me a little about about your relationship with Trek. Why you why you fell in love with it? Yeah, Star Trek. I grew up with it. I can tell you uh, some of my fondest memories uh, growing up are Friday nights with a frozen pizza uh, because uh, 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 my earliest years, my dad was still in graduate school. So, you know, it wasn't a lot of it wasn't a lot of extra money. So uh, the treat was getting pizza, sitting down on I don't remember if it was Thursday or Friday nights, uh, but sitting down as a family to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And that was a routine from uh, from the from 87 uh, all the way up until 94 and then in 95 with Voyager although I was a little more into Voyager than my parents we still would sit down and watch Voyager on the was it a UPN because it mm-hmm. was their big show that they uh, uh, launched with yeah I watched uh you uh, watch that uh Deep Space Nine though we didn't watch together because it is a bit more of a mature show so my parents always told me that I was too young to watch DS9 and as an adult looking back I can see yeah I I it, it does it the, it's a different kind of track and is a more mature version. Um, it deviates from the formula a little bit. And I, you know, it's not one that I tend to rewatch as often, although I am presently going back through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that was just suffice it to say a weekly routine all through my childhood. And, and it continues to teach us today. I watch episode after episode i've seen every episode of tng and voyager i don't know how many dozen times Uh and it never gets old (laughs) it's often on in the background and not only me my my best friend and and her husband who's also a very good friend of mine it's on the background at their house too so whenever we get together it's usually tng or voyager or ds9 in the background and so we, we may be shooting the breeze about something completely unrelated I like how the the lightning got slaughtered the other night, and so (laughs) it was. um, But it's still that it's still there, and we all agree that it is such a forward-thinking show because so much of the exploration of the human condition can be related to today. It's still relevant, and without going down. I guess more of a critical analysis of Trek, Uh, just summarize it to say, because Trek had stories that could only take place in the Star Trek universe. And that was a big thing for the writers. Uh, Jerry Taylor and uh, uh, Rick Berman, they were very big on, that's a great story, but it's not Star Trek. Mm -hmm. The stories here could only take place in Star Trek. And because of that, they're not about anything specific to either the 20th or now 21st century America or world. However, the subject matter, the the subtext of the plots and the subject matter is really about stuff that was happening then. And you can relate it to today, Uh, you know, probably in uh, probably an easy example, but one of the best episodes of Trek uh, is um, uh, command structure, I think is the name of the episode, but it's it's the one very famous for There Are Four Lights. Mm-hmm. And that's all about gaslighting. And yeah. you can apply gaslighting and resilience in a, in a variety of ways. And 
Uh, yeah, we we call it brainwashing, but I know that's a, a bit of an antiquated, you know, oversimplification. But you know, we you you can apply that to today, and you can see how important you know, the lessons that Star Trek teaches us are still like should be you know revered today. I feel if more people watch Next Generation, for the most part, Voyager was a little more adventurous, a little less heavy on the human condition, but it was still there. Um, especially when Seven comes on board. Prior to Seven, it was still finding its way. Seven comes on board. Voyager really comes into its own. And so we have these lessons which are just so rich. And I love how they never get old. And there's topics that they touch on indirectly that are like, wow, they were talking about that then? That's something that maybe we're only doing today or isn't being done today. And it's just like, well, I wish people today could watch that because, well, then maybe they would change their minds about X, Y, Z or give them pause to think. And that's why I love Star Trek, in particular, uh, Captain Picard, definitive Starfleet captain, and Seven of Nine are, you know, if I had to pick just two favorite Star Trek characters, it would be Captain Picard and Seven of Nine. And so I'm so glad that they feature heavily into Star Trek Picard, because it's not just me. I think those are two characters that people often remark are their favorites from the Star Trek universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, brilliantly said, um, particularly about your point of um, it's allegorical, um, but it never, it never bangs the hammer over your head. It raises these issues. Mm -hmm. It gets you to think, but doesn't, it doesn't tell you what to think. And the stories present themselves um, oftentimes there's no real clear answer that, you know, mm-hmm. you have these moral dilemmas. So you, yes. you approach these human problems, sort of you're out there in space, you know, in the 23rd, 24th century, wherever we are. And it's, it, it gives you a place to explore sort of social philosophy questions. And then you can take that back and think, Oh, okay, this is how I can think about this problem in my mm-hmm. own, in my own life. Uh, and I think that's that when Trek is doing that, well, that is, that's when it's at its best. And when it deviates from that is when it kind of sucks. <laughs> and, and and it does. It, it's a formula. And I and I and I love uh I love what you said. It's it's allegory. And that's really what it is. It's an extended metaphor, it's allegory. And when it ceases to be that, it ceases to be Star Trek. You know, and and I, I'm sure we'll get into this a yeah. little bit later and talking about you know, Picard season three, but there is a formula mm-hmm. and the formula works when you yeah. deviate from the formula, regardless of what the general public or what you think the general public is saying or what the general public is saying. If you deviate from the formula, it doesn't work. If you want to create a futuristic adventure about you fill in the blank, uh, but it's not following the Star Trek formula, create it. Please do, you know, <laughs> create original content. We need more original shows. However, don't call it Star Trek. You know, right. call it some, call it something else. Like, like Discovery, and I'll just get this out the front right away. Discovery is not Star Trek. It's just, it's just not. <laughs> no, it's not. Don't, don't call it Star Trek. I'm not knocking the show, you know, per se. I, you, I, you I can think, though. Go, f- uh, go okay, for it. It's, it's not a good show. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and we call it Star Trek. And then I just read this morning that 
I thought it was canceled and they've started filming again. It's like, oh my gosh, have you not been paying attention to all the conversations that are around Lower Decks, Star Trek Picard, and Strange New Worlds? Nobody wants Star Trek Discovery. I Yes, Michelle Yeoh, phenomenal actress. I'm not knocking the performances at all. And, and I love when I see you know, those they command screen presence like Michelle Yeoh, you know, in a, in a TV series. It has nothing to do with that. It, it has everything to do with the, the characters, the plots, the themes. It's, it's not Star Trek. You can call it Star Trek. Okay. You can put them on a starship. It's not Star Trek. It's just not a good show. And 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 it's like, how are you not paying attention? Why is Paramount Plus only still surviving because of Star Trek? <laughs> it's not because of Discovery. It is because of well, now Picard, but I I wouldn't have said that a year or two ago. It's surviving because of Lower Decks, and it is surviving because of now Strange New Worlds and. Voyager, TNG, DS9, re- like the ability to rewatch those. And I say the old school Nickelodeon also plays into the Paramount Plus success formula right now. But it, I mean, that is, uh, you know, that's what it is. So I hope what we take from the success of especially the latter part of season three of Picard is that the public likes the Star Trek formula. I don't care that there's this mindset in the world uh by so many that institutions are corrupt you know the past you know is you know uh is you know is holding us back from moving forward and we must take down you know legacy this and in history that and and it's like the history was written by so and so and expressed in such and such a way it's just i i hope what we what, what we learn is like no you 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 don't just simply you know throw everything out that you think you don't like some of this stuff it really works and it it is something that we can learn from and it's like no the uh perhaps the past had it right even though there's this idea that somehow the the past is corrupt it's like no um and so there's there's star trek inspires you know these con- these kinds of conversations, yeah, and and and, and it's and I'm glad it's happening again. Absolutely, I mean, just to your point, I mean, the first season of Picard started; it it was a deconstruction of the character, and it's like, what oh in gosh. God's name am I watching? And the the audience responded so positively to this change in season three. I believe for mm-hmm. the first time ever, you probably saw this. Well, yeah. it's it's trends on Twitter all the time these last 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, and in the Nielsen streaming, I think is the very first time a show, a, a streaming Star Trek show cracked the top 10 uh, was this season of Picard. Uh, and so wow. awesome. Yeah. It's here, guys. But the thing is, they here's the thing. They know it. And I think they consciously, I don't think they like us, Ryan, as their audience. They want a different audience. I, I don't think they want us. I don't know why, why they want to change it. The, they're going to take this beloved IP and turn it into their own thing until, as you say, not Star Trek. For some reason, and I can't even imagine this is even making them money. I don't get it. It's not popular. It's, and, I, and 
I don't know how you look on Rotten Tomatoes and you see 90 plus percent on these seasons. I don't know if they're paying off these <laughs> these reviewers or what. Yeah, because everybody <laughs> I know is like season one is watchable. I didn't hate season one. Well, I, I I didn't like it in the beginning. By the time we get to the end of season one, I like it well enough. Season one is watchable. Season two is complete garbage. Other than <laughs> getting to see Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, not not young Guinan. Young Guinan needs to go away. Yeah, uh, but uh, but at her we, bar ten forward. <laughs> yes, and and then Q. And yeah. other than getting to see John Delancey reprise the indelible enigmatic Q yeah. in season two, and getting to see Guy uh, Whoopi Goldberg reprise the role of Guinan, there's nothing else. And the I mean the Borg Queen too. But there's just like, but there's nothing else about about the plot and about the characters it was again it's this it's this um you know it's this revisionist history that we see everywhere and it's a deconstruction of the present and the past and in a very applied postmodernistic way and it's not healthy and yet we're we're injecting this into into uh, into something that it, it shouldn't be it's yeah. like you know, if you want to do that, fine. Don't call it Star Trek yeah. because this show did not start resonating with, uh, you know, fans, you know, young and old. Uh, whether they grew up with Star Trek on first run or they watched it in syndication or on streaming, it didn't resonate until this third season, and then increasingly so with the last few episodes. And those are your most dedicated and vocal fans are the ones that have been there the whole time. They are the ones who who will subscribe to Paramount Plus because they want to watch this. Yeah. Uh, Cuz uh, otherwise, yeah, it's like I I I like Paramount Plus well enough, but there's what again, what I feel is keeping it alive is the Star Trek connection. Yeah. And and this gets back to what makes Star Trek Star Trek. It has a formula. It's not a bad formula. Formulas are a good thing. Remember in math class, <laughs> formulas are a good thing. Formulas work for a reason. You know, they've been proven over and over and over. So don't deviate from it because you have then you have uh you know a uh, an unequal equation and 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 we spend you know our time trying to you know, how to you know how to make it e- you know equal on both sides. Uh, again, so yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'll quickly tell my um, my introduction to Trek story. Uh, I think you'll because you'll I think you'll appreciate this. I I never my introduction to Star Trek was my best friend at the time. I forget how old I was. I was just a kid. Took me to a Star Star Trek convention, and I didn't no know way. What, what Trek was. I didn't even know <laughs> what I was walking into, and I walked out of there with a signed photo uh, from Walter Koenig. And I didn't even wow. know who the guy was. That's cool. <laughs> and I just see all these people dressed up in their Starfleet uniforms. And I was like, yeah. wow, what is this? And then uh, then I got into TNG, watched that a million times. And then, of course, the original series. Those are really my two, my, 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 my go-tos. I'm not as big of a Voyager and DS9 fan. And in fact, uh, they don't, the, um, what's the word, the transfer or the, the the HD or 4K transfers for for um, TNG those hold up well. Yes. Voyager and DS9 they don't really look good anymore when you stream. Well, you know why? Because in uh, in TNG we were using models. 
there yes there was some cg but it was mostly for you know phasers and lasers i mean that kind of stuff but in terms of the 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 ships and the sets it's all practical and you think uh, and thankfully we um have a very uh tactile practical bridge of the uh, enterprise d in season three picard and the um the ready room the, mm-hmm. the podcast youtube show uh you know by um will wheaton you know took us on a tour and <laughs> and getting to meet with the the original designer who designed this and like they were like no this is we are literally recreating you know down to you know every last detail the ship and you can tell in the show it looks real and it's not hidden behind a bunch of dark light i don't know why we insist on making all these shows the oh. lighting so incredibly dark <laughs> and so but we're not hi- we're not hiding anything uh, but in voyager you because there was never a Voyager model, to the best of my understanding. I've never once heard of um, a scale model that was used in the way the Enterprise D was. And so everything is CG, mm. but it's 1997, 1998 <laughs> CG, which looked fine enough on a 27 or 32 inch TV back then. It doesn't look good anymore. So <laughs> when you're with the characters, it looks fine. But anything in space... It's just like, hmm, this it it looks kind of uh looks kind of a little sus. So um yeah, but that's why uh it still you know holds up so well because it was shot 35 millimeter cameras. We use real models, mm-hmm. and so no matter how big you blow up that model, it still looks really good because you got a lot of real detail in it, and when the light hits it. It's hitting a real object. We're not simulating light and simulating shadow. That's real light and that's real shadow. Yeah, I agree 100%. And in fact, the the four by three aspect ratio doesn't bother me at all. And sometimes I kind of prefer it because you get to see you lose in 16 by nine, you lose the height of the scene and you can yes. you see, you can see generally almost, you know, entire person above their head to below their mm-hmm. feet, which you just don't get a lot. Um, no. So yeah, it's not. It's kind of interesting to to revisit that. All right, so let's start with season three. We basically get we. Uh, I don't. I don't know the opening scene. I think it's Picard with his mistress. I think, and then we and then we cut to uh, to Beverly, who's out there being. Uh, what do we want to call her? Like Doctors Without Borders kind of mission. Yeah, uh, I'd say yeah. that's a good. That's a good equivalent. Yeah, and then she's under. She's basically under attack. We don't really know what's going on, and then we later find out it's Jack. What do you think of this, Ryan? Uh, this this opening is we kind of as the reveal of who Jack is, uh, and of course we get Picard and who meets Riker, uh, and then they're kind of connecting. What what are you uh, your initial kind of thoughts <laughs> at, at this kickoff to the to the? Oh, my initial thought was, oh, this is Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. which isn't a bad thing. Most would say that Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek film, yeah. and as much of a TNG fan as I am, I say Wrath of Khan is the best Star Trek. First Contact, second best, but mm-hmm. but Wrath of Khan. Definitely best. So who cares if you're if you're emulating that? I saw a lot of people hate on that. Like, why are we watching Wrath of Khan? Well, well, why not? It's, why not? <laughs> it, it hasn't been done since Wrath of Khan. So that's like over 40 years ago. And so why, why, why not bring that back? Chances are there's a lot of people out there who are just now getting introduced to Star Trek Picard that haven't seen Wrath of Khan. They yeah. should now because yeah. it is the best Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. But it, it is... Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure where we were going with it, but I'm like, it's, a, I picked up on that. I'm like, okay, Rathacon. So it's yeah. like, so we're, we're connecting it to something, uh, well-established in the past. And I, you know, I was, I was okay with it. I did, wasn't quite sure what to make of it, but I was okay with it. It's like, Hmm, 
maybe it offered a little hope. It's like maybe we are getting back to Star Trek's roots uh, because I think exploring Picard's uh, relationship with others, relationship with family, although the family thing doesn't actually, it kind of doesn't work because we learn a lot about his family in uh, season four, episode two, which I think is actually called The Family when he goes back to his home and his brother is like, well, he actually seems like he has an an okay relationship with his brother. So, and he never really talked bad about his parents. And all of a sudden we're talking bad about parents. But I think that was just a pander to these Gen Zers who are just prone to think that, you know, any authority figure has, you know, has it out for you. (laughs) So that's why we can't have Picard come from a, not that it doesn't, I mean, from a um, a mostly healthy family because we learn in the series that he actually he never really complained about his family all of a sudden we are but that's that's a whole other story but i i think we i like that we're exploring that aspect because he has always kept a wall there yes And, and 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 that and that was consistent from through tng through picard even in season one and two there there is a wall there so that has been consistent so i think it's very fair to explore that uh and and we should uh because on the enterprise they were a family and i love the line from i think it's season five in which the young boy loses uh his his parents and uh, picard responds to him on the starship enterprise no one is alone no yeah. one love mm-hmm. that line because they were a family um but there were but he was always just on the outside of it and that's hinted at in the C- series finale the tng series finale and which is a five car stud nothing wild sky's the limit and you know just before that he's um like uh, uh deanna says you were always welcome referring to i should say uh referring to the poker game yeah and and so he, we begin to see that there, that wall come down just a little bit. So I, I liked the setup. Yeah, uh, brilliant there. And of course, Picard almost hilariously hated kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the but he, oh, he, the the gift, the uh, I'm a role model. That gift comes up, you know, um, <laughs> ever so often on uh, Captain Picard Day. And I, I just, I, I love that. Yeah. And that's one of, uh, that's one of my uh, uh, favorite episodes is the, where he has to work with the kids yeah. and they're climbing up the Jeffrey soup, <laughs> singing Frere Jaca. And like, that's really good because it was so outside of his comfort zone. Like uh-huh. he was so, and we hardly ever see Captain Picard uncomfortable or vulnerable. Yeah. And we do. And it's any time you talk about kids or even you know, family, you know, to an extent, kids much to a greater extent. So, like, I like this because yeah. it's going to force him to go uh, where he's never gone before. Yeah, and to confront, uh, you know, this, his own issues and stuff that he's been kind of maybe put aside for his job for basically decades, and here he is, sort of at the end of his life. And yes, he saved uh, he, he saved the galaxy many times, um, mm-hmm. but personally, he he kind of suffered a bit. He never really had um, the relationships that he mm-hmm. that he wanted. Now he's looking back, and then the, that tie in of he you know for forever he said, "I don't you know I don't want kids. I'm I'm here for Starfleet. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm focused on my job." But here is this this man now who is my son, and um, 
how do I deal with that? But then also um, it kind of became in its own way, a, a blessing, I think for him to, to, to kind of complete that journey of his life. And because at the end he kind of regretted it, right. That he didn't, yeah. he never had those, those relationships. Uh, and so, and, and, and what we'll call, you know, kind of a legacy, um, there's a hint maybe to a possible new Star mm-hmm. Trek series. We'll see. Yeah, that, that legacy hashtag. Uh, I, it's like, have I missed something? Because I don't recall hearing an official announcement, but hashtag Star Trek legacy. Yeah. It's completely mostly, fan driven. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I know, because um, we say legacy, Rafi says your legacy referring to um, Seven of Nine at the end when she's mm-hmm. about to give her first command line. And I love that we don't know what it is. Uh, and then because uh, Rafi says this is your legacy. So because anytime I've seen hashtag Star Trek legacy, it's generally associated with seven of nine. So um, I don't know you know what that is. But so, yeah. So also it's kind of like a um, uh, hashtag release the Snyder cut is <laughs> yes. kind of. OK, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's basically exactly what it is. Well, it's even that's- less so because. At least this, there was somewhat of a movie to cut into a Snyder <laughs> cut. There is no show legacy, and I hope we get it. We'll see. Um, but just moving on here, yeah, we get to well, we get to the Titans. Speaking of seven of nine, where we yeah. where we see her, and we're introduced to Captain Shaw, played by Todd Stashwick, who, oh man, just totally knocks this thing out of the. Oh, he's park. great. He's yeah. so good. I yeah. was like, I like this guy. Yeah. He was very like. I mean, there were things I didn't like about him, but it's like I liked the things that I didn't like about him. He was just delivering his lines so incredibly well, to- like just completely, just just balls to the wall, Starfleet captain, yeah, and just very very rigid and kind of reminded me of Captain Jellico from the Chain of Command episode. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. now Jellico, much more of an asshole than Shaw, but he does have. <laughs> He was kind of channeling that. So it's like, I, it's like, I, I don't think I like you, but I like you. And yeah. so, uh, and he, just the, the chemistry between he and of course uh, for him, Commander Hansen yes. uh, is, uh, is incredibly, is incredibly good. Yeah. That, uh, that tension there between them. And of course, Shaw is entirely correct in yes. his disposition because Picard and Riker come over to basically to take over his ship literally yep. uh, to go to save Beverly. And then we find out later um, is his, uh, that when Picard was locutus, one of the reasons why he resents Picard and why he's so gruff in the beginning, I think he, they were going to eat, uh, they were going to have dinner and Shaw basically just finished his meal and said, get, basically get the hell out of here. Um, is that he was, he was attacked by uh by the Borg. Um, because I think he was at uh, Wolf 359, if, yep. I, if I remember correctly. I think that's right, yeah. And so it all makes sense. He has got, he's basically thrown into the plot, literally, uh, and under peril for, you know, through no control of his own. He wants really nothing to do with this, get the hell yep. out of here kind of a thing. And, and so I think that's why we sympathize with him. And then his sort of humorous kind of fatalistic delivery of his lines you know he's yes. like he's always like oh great you know kind of a thing Here we there's, go there's a uh there's sort of a t- uh there's like a there's a a dark humor to his character yeah that i that i really appreciate yeah absolutely uh and then this is where we um you know we're not going scene by scene here but this is where we get introduced to uh vatic uh played by amanda Plummer, uh piloting the shrike amanda a hell of a Plummer, ship, who you know, you know who her uh, very famous late father is? Uh, Christopher, Christopher. Plummer. Yeah, yeah, Christopher yeah, yeah. Plummer. So I thought it's a great uh, little uh, Hollywood legacy here in uh, in Star Trek. And she was in Pulp Fiction, I believe, right? 
Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, with the uh, the drug dealing boyfriend, yeah. I think that was her. Yeah, um, she's so good. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she, she's over the top, but it doesn't bother me. I think it's played so well. She's she's maniacal, uh, and mm-hmm. it it comes off great. What do you think of her performance? Oh, excellent performance! I, I uh, very much see how she's channeling uh, her father in uh, in the performance and just having learned from you know one of the best actors uh, that uh you know hollywood past or present had ever you know seen on the screen and and just you you you're really scared of her because of just how just how you know just terrifying her thought process mm-hmm. is and she's not just out for revenge she's out you know she's it's a it's a sadistic form of revenge and that, and that's what makes her, you know, terrifying. And we learn, although you don't need to have seen DS nine to know, or star Trek nemesis to, you know, know more about the dominion and, and then a bit of the relationship between, um, you know, Picard and data. I think having, you know, if you, if you watch DS9 or if you watch Nemesis, you do have a greater appreciation for some of the some of the context in uh, in Picard, especially uh, here in um, well the Picard data beginning of season one, and then with the you know, DS9, some of what is going on here with the Dominion, because that's you know, uh, one of the big bads, it, or like the big bad, I guess if you will, from from DS9. Yeah, because I don't and- think. To the changeling plot line or any of that had any, was introduced to TNG at all. And I think in the original no. series, we, there was, I think there was one episode where there was a changeling. I don't know if it's exactly the mm-hmm. same, but, uh, but yeah, that's really all you'll see it unless you're, unless you're familiar with DS9. Um, and then we do learn about uh, what they, they gave them the, um, it was like a tainted virus that killed a whole bunch of them. Right. Is that, did I have yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so revenge for that. Uh, and this is, uh, she's hunting Jack. There's a bounty on Jack's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this real, I mean, what I love about this is there's a real conflict of what do we do with Jack? Everything is like happening so fast. Picard learns this is his son. Here's Vatic. I, I, and with a ship that's has this portal weapon and like basically every weapon imaginable. <laughs> On yeah, the and yeah, it sucks up that uh recruiting center for Starfleet, and it just it's it was like playing a game of Portal, yeah. and so it's, it's <laughs> I'm sure is where that came from, but it's great, and yeah. so we uh so I that was just it just like sucked up the whole thing. It's just like oh my gosh, this is this is gonna be bad. This is serious. So what do we do? Uh, Shaw's like uh, Shaw's ready to hand over Jack until Picard says no, he's my yeah. son, and then it changes. But I, what I love every character. The conflict is is completely character driven based on their own mm. internal motivation. So yeah. you have uh, you have Vatic, you have Shaw, you have Seven, you have and here's Riker, um, and then there's Beverly. They all have everything is is derived from their own motivations. It's driving yes. the plot character forward. driven, which yeah. is what Star Trek uh, in its uh, purest form, the Star Trek formula is one that is character driven. And that's one thing that separates it from Star Wars. And although I like Star Trek more than Star Wars, I'm not knocking Star Wars. It's just a different kind of storytelling. They're not supposed to be the same. And when you're taking like when J.J. Abrams tries to make Star Trek like Star Wars, it doesn't work. They're they're not. They're, they're two different expressions of a futuristic idea. One is a space opera, space Western, and the other really is uh, more of a a straight drama but it has exciting elements it has uh 
the uh, you know futuristic style, but it, it is you know one's a uh, one's a drama, the other is uh, it's I mean it's it is a, it's action adventure, and that's fine. Yeah, and 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 in season three we get more of that. We get more of the character driven conflict, and so we're we're leaning more into that formula because the plot of season three is you know you know stop vatic you know ultimately you know stop you know the board queen it's very simple plot and uh but we have incredibly complex characters yeah that's brilliant uh and i love this cat and mouse game that's going on inside the nebula the the um the titan is losing power and mm-hmm. sort of i guess what i would call the conclusion of the first act of the season um is this how would you describe this this birth of a <laughs> What, what is this thing? But it, it, was, it was crazy. There's something going on in this nebula. Yes. Something is being re, is being born or reborn. I don't know which. Uh, and then the Titan is basically able to ride the wave of these mm-hmm. these uh, I don't know impulses <laughs> to, to to power the ship out. Um, and it's fantastic. And it has a really deeply moving effect on Riker because um, he's been yeah. he's been mourning uh, the death of his son, really disconnected from Deanna. He's just kind of he's you know, super depressed. The relationship is kind of non-existent. Uh, and this really kind of brings back his faith in the universe. Well, again, he's looking for it for being grounded. Everything that he has in the present is being, you know, ripped out from underneath of him. And he, and he's looking to the past in order to find himself again. And so there, and so he is, you know, you know, looking for his footing and that's why, you know, uh, Picard is so very important to him because Picard represents the the best that uh, Riker was, regardless mm-hmm. of what season one and two told us, where Picard somehow had this negative impact on everybody around him. Complete garbage. <laughs> so stupid. Total character assassination. <laughs> Again, it gets back to the whole, well, we can't, you know, uh, authority is bad. Authority must be overthrown. You know, authority is out to oppress you. <laughs> and so, like, I get it. You're, you're, you're leaning into, I'll just go ahead and say, it, you're leaning into the woke mob. And it's like, that is not, that that's not star trek you know there you know uh, he he's revered for his loyalty and revered for order and revered for his his moral and ethical center that's why q was fascinated with picard yeah. it was his his moral and ethical center and, and his character should not have been disparaged in, in in how it was in um in seasons 1 and 2 because Riker's looking for that here in season three. It's like, you know, Picard uh, is able to you know, ground me and he represents Picard represents the really the best of humanity. It's not perfect because humanity is flawed. Picard's flawed. All these characters are flawed. But despite the flaws, still represents the best that that we can be. Well, all of it collectively, because they each represent a different facet of humanity, you know, our you know, our magnificent seven, so to speak. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, and so collectively they represent the best that we can be flaws and all. And, and, and that's what, you know, really, you know, gets to Riker because at the beginning of three, it's like hashtag not my Riker, which, which isn't <laughs> mine. It's um stork from beside a geek podcast, uh-huh. uh, TN, uh, TN star Trek podcast for, yeah. for listeners. If you're looking for something more star Trek specific, it's a good show. he's like hashtag uh, not my Riker. And, and I get it. But he becomes Riker, but he is lost. So he's not Riker. He because he's like because Riker would never admit defeat. Riker would never be weak. 
but that's where he was. Yeah. And, and, and it took uh, this, uh, you know, being this conflict to to bring him around again. And he and Picard very much defeated after, you know, Picard says, you know, yeah, we need to fire now, fire now, fire now. And then the portal weapon comes out and everything they fired at the strike just came back and nearly destroyed the Titan. And it was just like, oh boy. It's like, he's going to the brig. He is court martial for sure after this. And it was just really sad because it, you know, he was so convinced that that was the course of action. And it came back around to literally bite them in the ass. Mm-hmm. And so, and so it was very low you know, period. In oh, definitely. The, <laughs> this in, his, like, in his life and in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked like a t- total no-win scenario. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, there's a difference between character maintaining the core of who they are, but also yeah. showing them where they are now. I mean, they're all in their 70s, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, and you're right, He's he wasn't the Riker we last saw. Mm-mm. necessarily or the one we completely re- remember from tng but he yeah. he has gone through something and he needed to find yeah. his way back and i don't think i've ever mm-hmm. seen jonathan frakes better in his career oh it was it was great it's so so very so good i'll be all of them where just you are you're just channeling you know your character but you you you're even more convincing than you are, especially Worf. Every line of no. Worf's is a complete banger. Every, every single <laughs> one of great. them. Like he was like, like, like that, that is who Worf would be 35 years later or see uh, Nemesis was 2003 or four, I think. So however many years, however many years it's been yeah. like, that is like uh, he is. And I love the bait and switch because in the trailers, which I try to avoid as much as possible, but sometimes you can't avoid a trailer and it just accosts you when you're like watching something else. And, yeah. and I was worried because we get that clip in the trailer was like um because Rafi says something about him being a warrior and then he said uh I'm a pacifist and I'm right, like oh my yeah. oh my gosh are we really are we really going here because I because after seasons one and two fully convinced that they would turn Worf into a pacifist but I like that it was a bait and switch yeah, where it's yeah. just like no he's still an honorable warrior Oh yes, and, um, he, he will yes. not hesitate to decapitate someone. <laughs> no, he, he just he'll he's all, but he's just finding trying to find some sort of inner peace. That's really all yes. it is. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, Michael Dorn is eating up every 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 second, uh, loving oh, every sure. line, and just in, <laughs> he, he's great. He was so good. Uh, all right, great. So let's uh, we could spend like hours on this. Uh, let's kind of move on to the to, I guess sort of the middle episodes, uh, episodes five through eight, which I think is kind of a, really what I call a second act. Um, yes. To me, this is where the show kind of bogs down for me. There's not it, it really a, a ton happening. But, and the mm-hmm. main thing is um, uh, Jack finding out more about Jack and mm-hmm. and I guess the red door. Um, what do you think of? Um, what do you think of newer Trek kind of introducing? I don't know. Cause you're, you're the horror guy. And I, I guess I would call this kind of a horror element. He's getting oh, there's definitely some horror adjacency uh, in, especially in, in the middle. Yeah. And, and I like it because it was, it's very creepy. Yeah. Um, and one thing um, I liked a lot is Jack is seeing these visions. He's, he's, he's got the red eyes. And then I guess we start to see some sort of a version of, I don't know if you'd call it telepathy or body body take taking over someone's body in a sense kind of yes uh, yeah kind of um, uh yeah i don't 
What's, what's uh, it's like housing, like um, mind control. You can like uh, overtake uh, uh, what's a uh, I can't think of the right word, but but uh, enter their uh, enter their mind. Yeah, and uh, kind of al- almost like um, uh, Bran in Game of Thrones, where okay, you can yeah. inhabit. That's the word I was looking for. Inhabit. inhabit. Yeah, and so because uh, Bran, you know, could inhabit the direwolf or inhabit. Uh, uh, the Raven. And so we kind of have that same idea in, in here where he can in, in inhabit the mind and the, the indicator is, is the red eyes, but it's still very unclear as to, Hmm, this isn't, I don't think this is a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on here or what this is leading to, but it was, it was very much intriguing mm. because it, you started thinking, Oh, is there, is jet like this, the rest of the time we're, uh, like kind of in in Jack's corner, uh, but you know perhaps he's actually a, a villain here. Yes, and and so that's what I started uh, thinking. Uh, maybe I didn't think he was cognizant that he was a villain. Maybe more of a, a sleeper, which I guess is kind of what happens. Hmm. But like it's like hmm, there there is something. There's something very, uh, there's something not right. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and it's like, is he, right, yeah. Is he a changeling? He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And one thing I love, I think this was a perfect move or a great move by uh, by the writing staff, was to have was to not have Jack keep this inside of him. You see, lesser shows do this kind of a thing. He's very forthright with going to Beverly and saying, "Yeah, there's something wrong with." Me. Uh, and so it it wasn't one of those things where it's you know it's all just in his head. He's having these visions. He's keeping it to himself, and then it blows up into something. And I I, I like the choice that right away he's reaching out, and and then it helps sort of the problem solving of what is actually yeah. going on with him. Oh, uh, do you agree with that? Oh, I know very, uh, very much so. He he's like there's is I don't know what's wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. It's been here for you know for a long time, and. And it's like, you know, it, this is when it gets really scary, especially for, uh, especially for Beverly. She's like, how, how could I have not have seen this and beginning to, uh, to, you know, doubt her skills uh, as a mother, which is, I, I'm sure, very, uh, very disturbing, very disheartening. And so she, she has so many battles going on at the same time. Yeah. And, and her, and, and but she responds to it. She responds to them in maybe not how Gates McFadden would respond to them or how the individual writers, or I guess the, the like the series finale was um, uh, Terry uh, Metalis, uh, Metalis, uh, yes, Metalis yeah. uh, was um, both the writer and director, but she responds how Dr. Crusher would respond. Yeah. And, and, and I, I noticed that about, uh, all of these characters uh, here in the third season is they're not responding how the writers want them to respond. They're not responding how the individual actors would respond. They are responding how their character, their 35 year old character yeah. would respond to this situation. Uh, yes, perfectly said. And to that point, that's in fact, uh, that idea of failing as a mother to protect Jack, that's yes. essentially Beverly's, um, argument to Picard a couple of seasons ago of why she didn't tell him, which he is really pissed off. Um, and yeah. as and I think this is where uh Patrick Stewart is he's he's an old man, <laughs> and um, and I think in where we've seen him in the earlier seasons, he's m- much 
you know, he's he's showing his age, let's say. Yeah. But I think this is the spot where he found that old Picard voice. And I think yes. that is, you know, just you could say everything you want about the character of Picard, but the forceful performance that Stuart was able to put into it is really what sold everything. And we lost that earlier and we got it yeah. back this season. That's his greatest uh, weapon, yeah. his greatest weapon, or I should maybe tools, a, a better descriptor, his, his greatest tool is his voice, yeah. both in terms of just the, um, uh, his anatomy, how, his voice delivers the lines because he has such a um, he take just such a com- a commanding voice just by itself. But it's but it's also the metaphoric voice. Yes, it's the uh, it's the, the the subtext, the intent, the words he selects, and both of those things together, uh, you know, work in tandem to become you know his greatest weapon, his greatest tool. For peace, that that that's everything you know. Picard, you know, has wanted the best for people. He's wants the, the the best for the world, and and you know wants to uphold Starfleet's values, and he does that not through you know the the weapons on the Enterprise. Uh, he primarily does it through his voice. Hence, why he was uh, selected multiple times as uh, as an arbiter in the series. Yes, even though he'd always you know say, "Well, I'm not a great you know not a great you know counselor or not a great uh, arbitrator." He's like, "No, no, you are." And he found that voice uh, again in terms of how Sir Patrick Stewart delivers the lines, but also the uh, the words and the intent of you know what Picard is saying. Yeah. No, this is great. By the way, we, we got to have you on again or more often. This, <laughs> this been, I'm just loving <clears throat> eating up this discussion. A um, couple of things that also happened here. I want to bring up Ro. We get Ro, Ro coming back, who we think is sort of villainous, but not. I love this. No. She's got the earring, uh, the Bajoran earring, which has the data, which leads them to, I believe, Daystrom, which then we get to yes. really my, my favorite part, which is data. Um, you mentioned yeah. your favorite characters. And I was thinking about this a lot. I think data is my Data's my guy. Uh, uh, Data's right Trek. up there for me too. Yeah. Uh, he is like like so much of his, we learn about being human from this android. Yes. So and in this android's exploration of humanity, <laughs> we learn so much about what it means to be human through him. In, in many ways, you could think of Data as our conduit as an audience. Uh, he is actually our our you know uh, avenue into this universe mm-hmm. because he's learning what it means to be human which is what we're doing as <laughs> the audience and so I I agree with you such a you know, such a, a great character and only you know, only as can exist in Star Trek yeah he's super smart but at the same time childlike in many yes. respects uh and yeah I, I would agree that's sort of our our window into that world um for for levity for uh, and the, of course, his friendship with Jordy. I think they pushed the friendship with Picard more than I thought existed. I always thought it was more of a Jordy thing than than Picard. Yeah, um, it was. I think that comes from Star <laughs> Trek Nemesis. We get that uh, that relationship between Picard and and um, and Data. But I agree. Throughout the series, the strongest friendship was always between Jordy and Data, which is leaned into a bit more heavily in the last couple of episodes yeah but uh but i don't think they leaned into it as much as they they should because that you're right that is where the greater friendship was was between data and geordie 
Yeah. Who we also, uh, so they, they take, Oh, we, we get Moriarty, which was kind of interesting. Um, but for a, just a brief second, I yeah. when I heard the announcement that Daniel B. Davis was going to hang up his uh, feather duster from the nanny and reprise, <laughs> it, reprise his role uh, as uh, Professor Moriarty, uh, I was really excited. And then it's just like, oh, he's kind of a defense mechanism that was on screen for like two minutes. Yeah. And yeah, maybe that maybe that's all you know Daniel Davis wanted to do. I mean, because he it, perhaps he's retired and he's like, sure, I'll come back and do this, you know, really quickly. So I'm not gonna blame the writers because maybe it was just that's all he wanted to do. But it would have been nice for him. I didn't need him to be our big bad, right. but I would have liked him to be on screen a bit more because Moriarty is like he's like one of those uh kind of an anti-hero that was smarter than data because he was engineered to to for uh see i, I forget how jordy or it might have been barclay programmed uh program no it wouldn't have been barclay because that was because we got professor moriarty's actually season two so it would have been how jordy programmed moriarty to be able to beat data right and so I would have liked that to have seen that a little bit more, but just still seeing the callback Moriarty and the way they brought him in was kind of creepy. I liked it. Uh, but yeah, it was really fun seeing Mor- uh, Moriarty again. I guess he was finished with his uh, the uh, endless adventures that they were able to create for him on that little uh, the little, you know. Uh, hard drive or whatever right, it was yeah. at the end of that one episode. Uh, that, you just reminded me of how great those TNG episodes are. Um uh, especially when when Data's bringing Jordy along into the holodeck, and Jordy is just yeah. bored out of his mind because <laughs> Data just solves it in like ten seconds. He does, yes. Yeah. Like, you don't get really, it, Data. Really this is, yeah, this isn't yeah. the point. <laughs> and so they end up creating this problem. Yeah, great stuff. So we get a little bit of more. It's fine, you know. We move on, um, and then we, of course, we get Jordy at the um, uh, at the museum, which is great. And all, all this, of course, uh, which I don't think I mentioned is leading up to some plot at frontier day, um, which mm-hmm. gets slowly, uh, unveiled of what it is that's going to happen. And then we get trying to bring data back. We get the data versus lore battle. I love this. Uh, what'd you, yes. what'd you think of that? Oh, great scenes because that, that again, directly inspired by how data and lore, what data and lore's relationship was in TNG uh, because they really are two sides of the same coin. You know, Lore possesses qualities that Data admires because he it's that it's the it's the ability to emote. Yeah. And even though Lore uses it, you know, for evil, Data, you know, can't help but be intrigued by that because that is something he lacks. And so he and and he says things that I think data's like I can I can understand how you can arrive at that conclusion and but your your methods are all wrong. And so it's so we were able to see that internal battle and it was delivered so incredibly well because there was a moment that I was I was concerned that Lord <laughs> was going to take over because it really looked like I ultimately figured he probably wouldn't, but it just, there was that, that, that feeling that he could have taken over and it came real close, especially when Jordy removed that partition between the two and it was up to data to, to overcome. And I love how we get the little cameo from spot Yes, and like that, that was really good spot, a little MVP in, in that episode. And yeah, data sort of explains how, um, how important the cat was to him, you know, yes. I, I, 
I felt that strongly, you know, because we know he he tended to this animal and he he learned so much about this this little orange creature that mm-hmm. taught him so much about the world. Um, yeah, fascinating. And uh, speaking of, uh, we mentioned sort of dilemmas, um, philosophy. This is the, they're bringing data back to life where he yeah. didn't he was ready to be done. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a real question there. And to him, he's like, no, this is okay because now I'm finally getting what I wanted. Data is finally call him complete because he's got yeah he's got data he's got a little bit of lore just as you say in those mm-hmm. parts that were missing um and a little bit of dr soon i believe in yeah. inside of him as well and now he's kind of fully realized would you would you say yeah no it, it, exactly and he even has the ability to age which a little wonky but they explain it away <laughs> they explain it away well enough i mean that that's they they had to figure out you know some yeah. you know something to do there and i think for what it's worth they did the best job they could with the whole, you know, AI organic yeah. you know, thing. And, and, and so he, you know, is uh, finally realized uh, everything that he, that he wanted. And he does, he still feels like data. He doesn't feel like somebody completely different. He feels like data. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I love when he comes online and, and, and retakes the ship and he's uh, announcing ship wide, something like this is your pissed off security yes. droid or something like that. Whatever <laughs> yeah. that was. So I was, I was sitting, I was, I was watching the show. It was late at night, I think. And uh, my wife's asleep and I'm like, I think I woke her up. Cause I kind of just like involuntarily cheered when he said, when oh, she doesn't up. watch either. No, she's not a tricky. Oh. She doesn't really. She needs to be assimilated. She does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's run off these last two episodes, which is I th- almost call a mini movie, kind of. Yeah, um, yeah, and and uh, really all about the Borg. This is what this is where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find behind out- the door, and yeah. I wasn't sure what to what to expect by, uh, behind the door. Like I heard who I thought was uh, Alice. Uh, is it Kreej or Krish? Mm-hmm. I've never looked at how to pronounce her last name, uh, but it's like that sounds like the Borg Queen's voice, but I thought between first contact and season two, I thought we were like, you know, we were, we were done with the Borg Queen. Yeah. And then there were, there were, um, uh, theories floating around with, uh, one of the, um, I like that, uh, that, that demon like big bad from, from DS nine, you know, perhaps, you know, they, you know, it had, you know, uh, you know, come, uh, come back in here. Yeah. And it's, I, I didn't know, but it's like, I was like, I, think that's the board queen's voice but i ended up thinking it was not going to be the board queen because it's just well i've seen her die <laughs> twice so um but yeah. that, that that red door sequence uh with deanna let's go through the red door and it's really scary stuff it's very it leads uh definitely it has some horror adjacency yeah and and so and that's when it's like oh boy like this is this is not good. Like no. this, this could spell for disaster. And I've never seen the Borg just more, just like, uh, like it, it, intense and, and scary and almost a self-actualized for a Borg and how, and how they were uh, here in the last couple of episodes. Yeah, I agree with that. And basically we get the plot that the changelings were working with the Borg to, mm-hmm. um, uh, using <laughs> so they're trying to get Jack's DNA because we find out he's a transmitter 
um, or can be used as a transmitter. Yes, uh, because of the little pieces of Borg that were still in Picard, which makes sense because even in the best of both worlds, we learn that, and I think uh, Dr. Crusher mentions to him that there's always going to be some Borg in him. Right. And, you know, we, we pick, you know, we, we get that a little bit more in first contact and we get that, uh, we get that here. And so it does, it, it makes sense. And it's just, and it's just like, who cares if I can't figure out biologically how that works? That's not the point. The oh, point yeah. is there was always a little bit of Borg in him. And, and we've seen really all through Voyager what those nanoprobes can do. And so I, I feel no, it, it made sense to pass that on to, I did too. Uh, to Jack. And so he is uh, kind of like the, was it um not, the word's not transmitter. It's not host. It's uh, oh, the word when you have a virus and you don't have any symptoms, but you can pass it on. Carrier. Uh, just uh, carrier, carrier. So he's like, a, so he's a carrier of, I guess we'll call, them, we'll call it nanoprobes. And so he's a carrier of these uh, Borg or Borg-like nanoprobes. Yeah. And then they can, um, they're assimilating through the transporters. Um, yeah, That was kind of interesting. And it only which, affects people under 25. What'd you think of that? Oh, okay. So just real quick before I, before I yeah. get to that, I thought we were going to get a cameo uh, by uh, Dana Molnar as oh, yeah. Dr. Pulaski. Because if you remember from season two. <laughs> she didn't. Yes, she doesn't use a transporter yeah, because yeah. Picard's like, oh, she she doesn't use a transporter, and then the the other admiral's like, no, no, she she doesn't, and she is underrated. I really, as an adult, I really appreciate her as a ship's doctor in season two. Yeah. But I thought she was going to come back because of uh, her knowledge about transporters and never using a transporter. So I thought we were kind. Of, I thought we were uh, setting up a cameo by. Uh, by Dr. Pulaski. Uh, but but back to your point about under 25, that it's very clearly a uh, cautionary tale for today. It's a commentary on today's youth, which are so incredibly impressionable, perhaps more impressionable than youth have been, you know, you know, for you know, maybe since the dawn of time, or at least, you know, the last, you know, a few hundred years. Uh because it it mentions what is uh, kind of attracting them to the Borg and what we learn attracts uh, attracts Jack to the Borg is this idea of a utopia of this existence without pain without fear and and I feel those that are under 25 they they just hear oh no pain no fear peace utopia and they eat this up failing to realize that even Shakespeare told us that uh, in The Tempest, that that utopia is an impossibility. And, and so anytime it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. And so so I, I like that. It's like, because it's so easily swayed and it's, and it's because of, you know, these, these ideas, which are impossibilities or are impractical, sounds great in theory, but it doesn't work or if it if it you know you know, quote works it comes at a great cost and that great cost is individuality and and so and and that is you know what the the borg represents is a complete loss of individuality thinking is one behaving is one and you know destroying anybody that would come between you and this 
idea of a you know, perfected existence. And, and I'm so glad they made it 25 and under because so often in shows today, it's those that are, say, over 25 are the ones that are shown to be corrupt or they're the ones that are responsible for <laughs> a, a disaster. But we we it's the inverse of that here, which is more reflexive of where we are in the real world today, much more reflexive of reality. And so I love that the show did that. It was no longer the sexy young people coming to save the day from the corrupt adults. It, it was... <laughs> It, it was the reverse of that. Um, I, it's fantastic stuff there. And what's so interesting about what you said about um, well, that sort of uh, going to a place that removes you from pain, that that draw. Mm. What the show does is it when it when it gets you to that point uh, where we see Jack sort of where when Picard and Jack are both in the in that Borg, whatever we call that place. I don't know what Unimatrix. Yes. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and Jack's like, yes, I don't, because uh, he's dealing with his own crap. He's he's always been yeah. different, as they say. He's yes. always, he's 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 felt different. Then it wasn't just that he's always kind of had these hints of these abilities, and it's always made him feel weird. Um, and of course, yeah. he never he never knew his father, and he's always yeah. kind of on the run. He's a bit of a rogue, I guess, kind of maybe going around scamming people a little bit. You know, it, usually for the for a good reason, but kind of living life on the edge a little bit. Um, and but. What it does is it shows other characters in the show dealing with and moving on from their pain. We get, you know, yeah. uh, Riker moving on from his grief. You get yeah. Shaw. Shaw becomes he learns forgiveness, um, you know, to Picard, that kind of stuff. And and then of course we, as we talked about with Picard, kind of gr- growing a little bit further at the end of his life, finally getting some kind of a resolution. So the show does it, it gives you a path uh, for these characters to solve their issues and that's that's the real life right it's not it's not the borg life running away and and looking looking to hide your pain i also kind of saw maybe an addiction analogy in there as well yeah um yeah they they didn't really explore that at all but i I could i could see that one um, applying we didn't explore it as heavily as we did in that i think it's a season one of trek which is so clearly uh sponsored by dare because (laughs) uh because uh uh will um is uh he is he's like oh it's it's that colony which is clearly which is a uh, clearly addicted uh to drugs and uh <laughs> and, and uh young crusher is like he's like oh like drugs and they're like yes like drugs uh, and then it was just like so just just so over the top it's like okay i get it this is the 1980s war on drugs and like that one is a bit more overt than some of the others yeah Uh, but i always find it a a little a little (laughs) that episode particularly comical because of just how just just melodramatic (laughs) (laughs) everything is and so uh so no we we don't lead into it uh quite uh quite we get raffi what am i yeah i almost forgot because she's she's getting over her addiction yeah yes and so she has um she she has her own journey which sometimes sometimes she feels like a paper character which is like why is she in here but then other times she has it's just like oh really interesting so i don't i it's like i i don't know why it was there was it was kind of inconsistent it was there was inconsistency in her 
a very brief, you know, relationship with Seven. There was inconsistency oh, in yeah. <laughs> her her prominence in the series. There was inconsistent. There was just so much inconsistency. Now I love how this ends. You know, Warrior of the House, whatever her last name was, and but we don't. <laughs> I forgot just, she had a relationship with Seven. <laughs> just kind of uh, just just kind of one dimensional until the end yeah. and not very likable. I think that's part of the problem. Her, I like what we were trying to do, getting over the trauma, getting over the addiction, you know, to regain family, all really great things. And, and, and the actor, I really like her. I think as an actor, she was really good. I didn't particularly care for her character because seasons one and two kind of made me not like her she was not a likable character and that's the problem how do i pull for somebody root for someone to overcome if you haven't made them likable i have the same same dilemma with everybody because she hated everybody hated starfleet hated picard she like hated everyone why are you here (laughs) and it's just and so i i want to like her and in and in my my article that kind of reviewed the series yeah i put i didn't particularly care for her and it's it's because you until the very end you didn't give me a lot to like because you made her a not a pleasant character i did like pairing her with wharf though at least because yes that's when she came into her own once she got with wharf I did like her more. And because so he doesn't that, put up with her shit, basically. No. And that's what she needed. She needed a kick in the ass, basically. Yeah, she did. And, and she was better for it. She, yeah. because she, I can tell in her heart, she's a warrior, but she just, she needed that swift kick in the ass in order to, in order to come around and no, and nobody wanted to really challenge her. Right. And, and so, and so we finally get that. So I do wish her character had been um, handled, you know, more uh, which her character had been crafted with more in intention it almost feels like a an afterthought which is a disservice to the actor and to and to the character yeah i agree 100 percent uh and so we basically close with the titan being renamed the enterprise g we got um jack goes with seven and uh and they have kind of a new crew. Yeah. Maybe, you know, this is what I think maybe people are hoping what Star Trek legacy could be. I thought this was a, a great end for for mm-hmm. everybody involved. Um, I really couldn't think of a better way to send off these TNG characters um, than what great they did. Great farewell, because in, in the original series, although I like that poker game at the end, it, it never felt like there was enough closure because the series finale just kind of comes out of nowhere because they were originally contracted for an eighth season, but they decided to scrap the eighth season in order to do Star Trek Generations, which I recently rewatched. It's not as bad as I remember. Generations isn't great, but (laughs) it's also not as bad as I remember. And it does factor into Picard because we, uh, which we totally skipped over the, uh, you know, Jordy rebuilding the Enterprise. Oh, yeah. And, God, how can we forget and, that? And, and, so, and, and there's a callback to Generations because it is, uh, it crash lands, the Star Drive is destroyed in, a, I think, a warp core breach. And then yeah. the saucer section crash right. lands on uh, uh, Viridian 3. Yep. And, you can and see the been, scorch marks on the outside of it, by the yes, way. Yes, yeah, you can. Yeah. And so yeah. he's been working on uh, restoring it. Great way to bring the Enterprise D back. And for the most part, 
makes sense. Jordy retired totally strikes me as somebody who would be doing that. Totally. Yeah. So I so I I, I very much buy how uh, the Enterprise how the Enterprise returns and seeing everybody on the bridge of the Enterprise. I I cried when I they too. boarded the <laughs> Enterprise <laughs> and like I had tears in my eyes. So like yes. they they're back. You know the the Starfleet ship. You know, the flagship of all time is back. And and I and I just love I love that moment. They walk on, we see her, and then they walk onto the bridge. I had tears in my eyes, and and, and I love that uh, it became a character because you know what? This the starships in Star Trek, especially I would say the Enterprise D and Voyager are characters. Yes. Oh, and yeah. so and 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 that was missing. And so we brought back a like a character. Enterprise D is a character. So so no return to Trek is complete without all of your characters, of which uh, the Enterprise is one. Yeah. And so them all being back, you know, tears in my eyes. Uh, <laughs> and and we finally I didn't need it to continue because it is an older ship. Totally get it, but I love how Throughout the series, they were always a cavalry, and the Enterprise D comes back and takes care of them one last time and is the cavalry. And it's also a commentary on age. We do have this running commentary on age all through season three. As I don't discount somebody simply because they're older, they still have a lot to give. And that is the Enterprise. And because it was because it was older, it wasn't um, caught up. And all the AI mess that the Borg were able to manipulate, you know, to you know, to uh, assimilate in the um, in uh, here in the in the showdown. So, so I like we have that commentary on um, on aging and how you know yeah. don't discount you know somebody or something simply because it's older. It may still have a lot to offer, and 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 when we're back on the bridge of the now Enterprise G, which. It's like, I kind of feel like we take a step backwards because I think it's like a modified constitution class, which is not nearly as impressive as the galaxy class, but whatever. I would so, have been fine I, just yeah. keeping it called the Titan. When What's wrong with yeah. that? Yeah, that, I would have been because it's like it doesn't I mean, I guess it it looks like old school Enterprise, but it's just like like you're taking the shit backwards or um, if it had been like. In the style of the Enterprise, is the DE. They've been in the style of the F, which we do see briefly, because that's yeah. the one Commander Shelby is on. Mm -hmm. And so it's, but anyway, but you know, we get that they're on the bridge. And I like how that kind of does feel like a little family. I could see them all working together as a family. And and I think Jack is a Deanna-like character as a you know, special counsel. I think does work because of all of his. Uh, you know, missions with his mom has a lot of qualities that I think a a you know counselor like, albeit not an empath, but a counselor like individual uh, would be able to bring to a captain. And so I like how Seven has him as her uh, special uh, special counsel, and and then that poker game. They're back oh, at yeah. ten forward. Uh, why isn't Whoopi Goldberg here? Like, I don't hey, know. Yeah, she's giving us so uh, the evil eye, and it's just like, was she maybe just not available, or it's just kind of odd, or just don't say anything? It just felt really weird yeah, that Jordy mentioned like, her. Yeah. yeah, and she's not there. I don't but... understand. I didn't understand what that, what that comment, what that line was. 
I think it was a th- maybe the intention was to get her, but then they, you know, they they weren't able to. I don't know, but it was like just I would have cut that line out because yes. we don't uh, we there. don't see her, <laughs> yeah. but we get that poker game and yeah. how they're playing the poker game is a is um, a reflection of the poker game at the end of of the uh, the all good things at yeah. the at the at the end of all good things. But that's not actually the end now, is it, of, of, uh, of the Picard series finale. And this part put the biggest smile on my face <laughs> when because I almost didn't watch for a mid-credit scene. And like, and so I'm so glad I did because it's like, whoa. I'm pretty sure you just added that after you saw how successful this was. And I'm so <laughs> glad you did because what do we get, Ben? We get Q. Yes. John Delancey back as Q. Oh, I, was, I was like, oh my gosh. I just, I have the biggest smile on my face. I, I love Q. One, yeah. my, one of my favorite uh, you know, uh, recurring uh, guest characters in Star Trek on the Beside a Geek Pod. I'm on all the Q episodes because I I love Q's character because he he challenges Picard in ways that nobody else can. Yeah, and and ultimately he has their best interest at heart, even though he's got some perhaps uh, unethical ways of going about it. <laughs> but he ultimately does have their best interest at heart, and never means anything he does maliciously. No, and of course, well well played, but. Uh... By John Delancey. It's just good yes. to see him back. It never, it didn't make any. Well, it's like, how did he? How was he gonna die? So I think it made yeah. perfect sense that he came back. It's like, oh, you're thinking so linear. linear yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, it works so well, and it yeah. gives me hope because we have, uh, in 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 a show like Legacies, because we have Q legacy character, Seven of Nine legacy character, and you know maybe one day Rafi and Jack will be legacy characters too. But you know we in so I think a yeah. spinoff series that uh q pops in and out of works really well because the the episodes of voyager where q pops in and out i love them because it's a direct connection to tng and then uh ds9 there's a q there's a q episode on on ds9 because also on ds9 we get a picard's uh, love interest vosh from those couple of episodes oh, in tng yeah. we actually do get the one in a and of course, uh, the late uh, Gene Roddenberry's wife, the late uh, Mijel Barrett, you know, she also makes an appearance in in, in DS9. And, and we can't talk about Star Trek Picard uh, without, you know, yet, you know, acknowledging, you know, the the brilliance that was Gene Roddenberry's vision, which of was course. which was fully realized in Next Generation. I respect TOS. And and I love that we've got a connection to Lucille Ball because it was Desilu Productions, you know, which worked with Gene Roddenberry to launch it. And but Next Generation, that's what he wanted. And 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 so I, but I, you know, we'd be so all that said, we'd be remiss not to mention the return of Nigel Barrett's voice as oh, the yeah. ship's computer. Oh yes, and, and even Riker <laughs> when they leave the bridge for the last time, it's like I miss that voice. You know what? We miss that voice too. Yeah. I love hearing her voice come back on on the Enterprise. And the chirp, and, you know, and the, and the chirp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just it's like, like it's... I, I need to get a doorbell that, that chirps like that. <laughs> I know, and yeah. and I, I want to program uh my uh, Alexa or Siri to respond to computer. Oh, that's and great. um 
I uh, uh, my uh, my friend Greg uh, last night when I was with um, when I was with uh, he, he and his wife, uh, my best friend, he he mentioned that his brother, who's also a big Trekkie, actually mm-hmm. he watches an episode of Voyager, DS Nine, and TNG every single day. <laughs> okay, yeah. and so problem. but he he programmed uh, either his Alexa or his Siri to respond to computer. Oh, you got to get and, that. And so like, I need to find out how that works because <laughs> I would, I would talk to Alexa and Siri way more often if I could refer, if I could refer to them as computer, because uh. I would just, I would totally eat that up. <laughs> but hearing our voice, I loved it. It was, it was such a, like they didn't have to do that. And I imagine it was very difficult to do because that was a lot of hunting through TNG to find all the exact words they needed for those few lines, but yeah. it, it was, it was such a nice touch. Yeah, I agree. And I think my sort of final thoughts are uh, this season to me was, was really, and, and to your point, adding the voice, um, I think it speaks to the fact of how this series or this season rather was, was crafted with love um, and for the fans and mm-hmm. by people who know Trek for people who don't have to know Trek, but can, if they already don't, they could learn what Trek is all about. Um, and I, I think it was just, um, no, it's not, not perfect, but brilliant for what it tried to do. Um, and just, there's so much love, uh, in this season and, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy, um, that, Hey, this is all I, at least I got something out of, uh, you know, new Trek, if we want to call it that, uh, they have this season, this legacy series, if they're whatever, or whatever they set up, um, it's there for you, Paramount, just yeah. go, go take it. And then, um, you know, it's there, go for it. This, this shows you a path. It is not only is it sure the it's for it appeals more to the older fans, but mm-hmm. it's popular and people watch it. So even if it's not the new audience you're trying to create, whatever, because people like it. And then, as you said, this this formula works. You will grow. You will grow an audience um, yeah. if they follow this formula. This character mix, this plot, these you know these plots are uh, at perfection, as Seven uh, would put it. You know the uh, the characters and plots they. You know, they they explore uh, humanity in ways that can be difficult otherwise, and they do it through uh, through this allegory. And it's that exploration of the human condition, which is the greatest exploration. And, and Trek needs its captain, whether we're talking Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Pike, Kurt, Shaw. Uh, you know, we we need we need a captain, and we need that captain to be a strong leader, upholding the best expression of morals and ethics and the order. Uh, of Starfleet. And it doesn't mean those values and beliefs can't be challenged. We certainly saw throughout TNG uh, Picard challenging Starfleet. Uh, and w- one of the episodes that jumps to mind is when they're deciding whether or not Data is alive. You know, Picard challenges uh, challenges Starfleet. A Measure of a Man, I think, is the name of that episode. And so it, it you know, so he challenges it, it's, but it's the, it's the pursuit of the best humanity can be to one another that is the most meaningful and what keeps Q curious about humanity, in particularly Picard. It's that strong moral center. So Picard season three embraces this return to form. It embraces the Star Trek formula, especially here uh, at the end. 
And you know, I've seen articles out there that are uh, accusing Star Trek Picard of a disappointing third season. I mean, I can't believe it because they're like, it's looking backwards when it should be looking forwards. Oh, and it's just like, um, no, <laughs> it is Star Trek's because the Star Trek series, you know, it, it needs starships. It needs uniforms. It needs those military-like rules and that yes. ethical center. And that doesn't mean it's looking backwards. Those are the tent poles that significantly impact the form the show takes and the viewer experience. You mm-hmm. remove those tent poles and the show collapses. And Picard takes us back to what makes Trek great. And, and, and I hope it continues on this path. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on today. This was, I just love this conversation. Uh, we got to have you on again um, uh, in the future to not wait uh, two or three years to have you back. And no, I hope I would... to see you at screenings. I haven't seen you at any of the, at any of the screenings uh, over the last, uh, over the, over the last few, uh, uh, several weeks or a few months. Yeah. I've been, uh, it's just been hard for me to, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I need, I need to get there. Well, I also, um, the other thing too is I, I I like to go with my wife, so sometimes I'll wait a couple of days uh, and just go to see it with her because something mm-hmm. she wants to see, and she's not always not always available to come with me on a on a Wednesday at yeah. seven thirty, you know, <laughs> out in Tampa or something. That's that's really for the hardcore folks. So if it's something that she wants, to see, I've been bringing her along a lot, and I re up my uh, I don't know, I'm just but yes, okay, I've been slacking. Thanks, Ryan, for calling me out on that. <laughs> but yeah, I love uh, can't wait to see you again at a future screening, and uh, really just. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, give a quick rundown for everybody where they can find you. Sure. You can hang out with me on Twitter at RLTerry1. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash RLTerry or my blog at RLTerryRealView.com. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on again. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you all in the next episode.